Yahoo Sports has been a leader in fantasy sports for nearly two decades, and it's great to see that they've recently introduced Fair Play for Daily Fantasy. Yahoo is helping to level the playing field for sports fans, with strict contest entry limits and veteran labels for highly experienced players so you know who you're playing against. Yahoo Sports is offering our listeners a special offer. Go to the Yahoo Fantasy app or visit yahoo.com slash dailyfantasy and use the promo code R-I-N-G-E-R with your next deposit to receive a one-time $50 deposit bonus that is earned over time as you play. Plus, first-time depositors will receive a $10 credit to enter a contest. So remember, that's promo code RINGER on Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Ringer NBA Show. My name is Danny Chow. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me is Ringer NBA writer Jonathan Charks. Charks, how are you? I'm good, man. It's a crazy night last night for sure. Crazy, crazy night. Uh, and I think the best place to start is probably the Serge Ibaka trade. Yeah, that was nuts. Like, I'm kind of remember trade where, like, for both teams, it's just so, like, fascinating what, what they were thinking. So I, I wrote about this for The Ringer today. Uh, I'm generally a, a really optimistic person, and I, I think it kind of came off that way in the piece. But I also kind of think this is a bad short-term move for both teams. I could see it like being a win-win trade, a win-lose trade for OKC, a win-lose trade for Orlando, or a lose-lose trade for both teams. Like It's really, the outcome range is huge. I'm optimistic too. So I've been kind of like talking myself into the best case scenario for both teams. But I think the downside for both is pretty clear. Yeah, I I was wondering if this kind of mirrors or parallels, and this is something we talked about, um, the Nick Batum trade that happened during last year's draft. What, What do you think about that? I think the comparisons are pretty obvious. And I also, with the Batum trade, you can kind of see... Uh, Orlando's point of view because when Charlotte made the trade it was like what are they doing they're selling off a young guy for an older veteran who has one left on his deal even if they get this guy going they won't be a very good team but when you miss the playoffs for what four or five straight seasons making the playoffs is a big deal in and of itself even if you are a seven seed it does really change the mood around your team and your franchise and when you're a veteran and you make the playoffs on a kind of a bad average team now you're the main guy there and that five-year deal is sitting there for you i mean i think everybody's kind of thinking batum stays in charlotte right yeah so the orlando must be thinking if abaca makes the playoffs as the best player in orlando and we throw crazy money at him he'll probably stay now whether that's the right move is a different question but that must be the idea behind trading for a guy in the last year of his deal i just wonder if it's something where you, you can trust Ibaka to be that guy to change things around. Like, what if he really has plateaued as a player in OKC? And I, I, I know that's really ridiculous to think about. He's only 26. Well, and he's I never. that's the question, though, isn't it? That was out there right. a lot this year in the playoffs. I heard people talking about this. Like, is he actually 26? <laughs> and I guess this this goes into, you know, all of the, the Thon Maker stuff that we've been yeah. hearing uh, in the past couple hours or the past couple days. Um, but yeah, like, is, is Ibaka going to be enough to even, you know, bring them in as an eighth seed or, or let alone anything higher than that? Well, I think 
in terms of the age thing, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but it does kind of make sense, right? It would explain why he's he's kind of plateaued. Maybe he's actually 30 years old and his peak was four years ago, right? That kind of wouldn't make a lot of sense. I don't think he's going to get much better no matter how old he actually is or isn't. But I do think he can't help them a lot because if you look at Orlando, what are their two biggest problems right now? Rim protection and three-point shooting. So he fixes both those problems in one plus spot in the lineup. So I think he really makes them a lot more versatile. He improves a lot of their players and their roster ceilings. Like, I think he makes Aaron Gordon a much better player. He obviously makes Nick Vucevic a much better player. I think you play him 38, 40 minutes a game, right? You're going to run him out there as much as you possibly can. Right. I'm not sure if they're going to be a shot creator, but I think they have enough guys who can run off screens for him that he can be a very valuable offensive player. And he can be a huge... I can, I can see having a really big season for Orlando. And you know he'll be motivated to play playing for a contract. Do, do you think that Vogel would be able to de- deploy a Vucevic... Ibaka and Aaron Gordon frontline, like them playing together. I think if he wants to, win, oh, like all three of them, all three of them together. I'm sure he'll try it, knowing how he played in Indiana. But I assume the more likely road to success is kind of moving them as a three man rotation, and he's gonna want to win, right? So either yeah. they're gonna win playing three them together, or he's gonna adjust. I don't think he's gonna be that stubborn. I really like this move uh, from my very personal bias of being in favor of Mario Hazonia. Uh, I, I caught a little bit of heat uh, by saying that he would be a top two pick in this draft. Uh, I kind of stand by it, though. I, I really do believe in his potential. And this is even after a year in which he looked miserable playing for Scott Skiles. I mean, I think we talked about Mario in the last podcast. Like, I don't hold it against him, that's for sure. A rookie yeah. with the kind of a veteran coach on a team wanting to win, not playing well. Like, I think people definitely, they overemphasize sometimes the importance of the rookie season because of the, all they've seen. Like, the tools are still there. The potential is still there. And to me, it, like, means they're going to keep Fournier. In my opinion, here, I'm not sure if he's in a hot take anymore, but I would take Fournier and Hazonia over Oladipo. So ha- what, what are your thoughts on Oladipo for the Thunder, though? I think he could, I think that, I can see in this way it being a win-win. I think he'll be a much better player for Oklahoma City when he's part of a supporting cast, as opposed to when he was in Orlando, being forced to be the man, which I think at this point we have seen now that was stretching him beyond his capabilities a little bit. Because when he was great Indiana, he was kind of like the second option of Cody Zeller. He wasn't just holding the ball the entire game and directing the offense. He was slashing, moving off the ball, running the floor, being a hustle defender guy. And that's what we can do in Oklahoma City. And the flip side of that is, Look how bad Deion Waiters looked in Cleveland, and now he became a good player in Oklahoma City. So Oladipo was an average player in Orlando. Maybe he can become a really good player in Oklahoma City. I think that's definitely on the table. Yeah, I, I, I loved watching Oladipo on pick-and-roll defense this year. I think you know uh, Vucevic kind of made him look bad at times, but he's, he's a really promising physical defender. I, I love that his three-point shooting numbers have really improved uh, as the season progressed. Uh, he had a really rough first 25 games, but since January 1st of this year, he was shooting you know 39% from three. So if, if that is a more accurate indication of, of who he can be, then I'm really optimistic. How do you see OKC's rotation spinning out right now um, without Ibaka? I, that's a good question. I, I guess you would have to start the game at least with Cantor in the starting lineup, but you would probably stagger that, and you would have KD play 
a good bit of time well, at the four. So does that mean Roberson's coming off the bench? Yes. See, I was thinking it'd be they'd move Roberson to four and play Westbrook, Old Depot, KD, Roberson, Adams, and then keep Cantor and Dion off the bench. But, There's I mean, no... I'm just spitballing now. I have no idea. Right. They'd be a lot right, faster that's... that way. They would be. The other big news coming out of this draft um, was obviously Danny Ainge and what he was going to do with the number three and what he was going to do with all of his other 600 picks that he had. Um, so I guess the biggest question here after their haul is where do you think the Celtics go from here? I'd assume they're still banging on for trades, right? They're just kind of yeah. like running around the league. they got to stop leaking trade demands, though. It looks, it's getting ridiculous. Like, just stop. It, it, makes, it makes them look bad, all these trades that are out there. I mean, I think, make a deal or don't, please. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of strange that, that Danny Ainge has kind of taken up this new mantle as, like, the new Sam Hinkie. Uh, like, so, he has so many assets, but he has so little time to actually deal with them. And when, when you kind of take on this, this persona as being, like, this king of assets, you're, you're not necessarily going to be making a lot of friends in trade conversations. You know, the, the whole situation kind of reminded me of last year's draft um, where we were kind of waiting the entire night for Hinky to have this huge moment, but it, it never really came. Well, I mean, I think obviously being the third pick, he was kind of, he was kind of boxing a bit. There just wasn't much demand for what he was selling, which I think has been the problem in Boston this whole time. He's been trying to sell, you know, four cores into a dollar, and I think eventually DeMarcus Cousins is going to be made available I'd assume if they're drafting so many centers, I don't really see why else they would do that. So maybe that's a long-term play. It th- has to be, right? Yeah, and there, there's a lot of overlap with the guys they drafted, but that's kind of what happens when you go into a draft with eight picks and you only make one trade on the night. What do you see in their, their haul from last night? I mean, I like, I guess, start from the less important players. I like Bentil and Jackson, but I'm assuming they're not going to make the team. I don't look at their roster, but there's no way they have room for six rookies or... Are they going right. to bring in those two Euro? I think Zizic is for sure staying in Europe, right? Who? Zizic. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I, he's definitely Shelley. a draft and such. Um, I think Yablusile will, will find his way. This season? Yeah. Hmm. I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you draft him that high. Although, although that pick kind of reminded me of the Bruno Caboclo pick from two years ago where Danny Ainge might have been a little bit paranoid that another team was going to swoop in on him and so he kind of jumped on that pick a little early. Yeah, I haven't, wa- I haven't watched much Yabush. How do you say his name? I, I, I don't know, but I'm guessing it's Yabusile. Yeah, I haven't watched that much of him, so what do you think? Do you think he can play right away or see a long-term pick? Uh, I, I saw that Bill had, had tossed out the, the French Draymond Green comparison and I, I, I mean, I get it. The body type... Uh, the physicality is there. He can shoot. He can clearly shoot. He's strong as hell. But th- the big thing with Draymond for me is that, you know, he's an outstanding defender and he's an outstanding passer. Those are the two things that really separate him from any other player in the league. And I don't know if Yabusle necessarily has that right now. And I-, I don't know if he projects to have it, especially at that level. Well, that's, uh, in the that's funny you say that because I think the best case scenario for Jalen Brown is to play him like an Ursatz Draymond Green at the four. I think is right. to have him as like a big power wing who could switch screens, roll to the rim, make three on four play. He's an interesting guy because he was in such a tough spot at Cal. 
I think we've talked about him on an earlier podcast, but that team was a disaster from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So much talent, so little floor spacing, so little offensive structure. And for as bad as he looked at times at Cal, and there were games where he looked awful. When, when Tyrone Wallace was injured, and this was the guy that Jazz drafted the last pick in the second round, kind of an MCW starter kit, when he wasn't out there and there was more space on the floor and Brown was kind of like the point forward, he had some like seven, eight assist games. So maybe in Boston in a spread floor at the four, maybe that's who he could be in like three or four years. Like he has a pretty high floor and a pretty high ceiling, but I feel like his median's much closer to his floor than his ceiling, if that makes sense. And he's definitely going to need to work on his jumper, even though, you know, he, he had made, what, 76 out of 100 at his most recent uh, Boston workout. I, I wonder if that, that meant anything to the Boston people. But You would um, think so. And I, I was like, yeah. I was talking to someone today about this. Like, I don't buy those workouts too much because it's really Me easy neither. to shoot when you're in rhythm in an empty gym shooting 100 times in a row. It's much harder to shoot when you take one shot every five minutes in a set defense. It's a whole different ball game. So at, at this point, I, I just think the Celtics need to be patient. You know, the 2017 draft class is something that I've personally been anticipating for years now. You know, Boston can kind of keep playing with house money for as long as they keep getting these Nets first-round picks. Yeah. Um, Though I will say, I guess this is, not the right, this is not the right podcast for it, but like, I think there's a lot of really good players in 2017. Yeah. From what I watched at the McDonald's game, I didn't see Harry Giles, but I didn't see any like surefire superstars either. Like I, when I like, when I saw Carl Towns two years ago, but that's a different yeah. podcast, I'm guessing. Me, me and Tate are all in on Harry Giles. Well, it's two ACLs and and at 18, you know. <laughs> Tate's, Tate's shaking his head, so maybe I I, I put him on the spot there. Miss Lada, that's uh, two. That's two. I mean, one is one thing. Two is says you have some structural problems in your knees. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it, this is definitely for another okay, podcast, yeah. but there, there are there are some uh, sad Quincy Miller. Uh, oh, Quincy parallels. Miller! Don't even bring him up. My heart is beating still. Oh, yeah, love Quincy Miller. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder if they can continue doing this this kind of charade for for much longer, playing on that that Sam Hinky timeline. I, I, I don't know how long they could keep going with these this asset accumulation. Um, I, I feel like teams are starting to realize that maybe the Celtics aren't as close to being title contenders as they want to be. Well, I don't think anyone thinks they're contenders right now, <laughs> all right? Yeah. Maybe Bill right. does. No offense, Bill, but no. So we'll get back to the Celtics in a second, but before we do that, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has always been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of the older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to for tickets to a game or concert. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does all that for you by pulling all of the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, Ringer NBA listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code RINGERNBA. 
SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNBA today. Another interesting pick that happened uh, was the number six pick with the Pelicans. They drafted Buddy Heald. Um, we have expressed our opinions on Buddy Heald uh, a lot over the last couple podcasts, but do you think New Orleans made the right pick here? I really don't. And I was thinking, like, I was thinking about it this morning with New Orleans, and what really kind of bothers me about this whole team is they never found a two-way front court player next to Anthony Davis. They got Anderson, who cannot guard, and they have Ashik, who cannot score to save his life. And to me, that really, like, limits the ceiling of this team. And when you have a number six pick in the draft and you have Anthony Davis, let me get another front court player who can complement him. Like, who's the best front court player they've had in terms of two-way player? Quincy Pondexter? I mean, really. Oof. Yeah, and I mean, did he log any minutes at the four? I don't even know. I mean, they've had a lot of very limited players next to AD his entire career. And I think this was a chance to rectify that. And they went with the more... The safer pick, the short-term, instant gratification pick. Well, me personally, I would have swung for the fences. So, so would you have drafted Chris, who was available at that at that spot? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would have said, let's just go for it. We got Holiday, we got Davis. Let's just go for it. I mean, a healed, like I'm not a big healed fan. He'll be a nice player, sure. But number six in the draft, this is the one year Davis was. I guess he wasn't healthy. He was he was healthy, but everybody else was hurt. They probably won't draft this high again for a long time. Let's just make a gamble a little bit. You've got a Davis for four more years anyways. Right. I feel like this decision with Buddy Heald was kind of telegraphed for weeks. I I just think the the franchise needed a morale boost. Um, They had one of the most snake-bitten seasons I've I've ever seen. Uh, You know, they wanted a brand name. They wanted the marketing boost. He's a good guy. He's a maniacally hard worker. Uh, you know, a- after a season like last year, I-, I think all signs kind of pointed to them ha- them going for a safe option. See, I hate that logic, though. Like, rookies don't sell tickets anyways, unless they're, like, super awesome right away, like they're Blake Griffin or something. Like, Buddy Heald's a quote-unquote brand name. How many New Orleans basketball fans know who he is, really? Not that many. Like, oh, that was a guy at OU who was in the Final Four, yeah. Like, really fast, if he's putting up eight points a game, no one's going to care. Like, to me, you have to think long-term, get the best upside player. You just have to. You cannot be thinking short-term in the draft. That's right. a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more speaking toward, you know, the, the logic that the, the Pelicans had going into this. I, and really, they, they really did need to shore up their, their backcourt. I mean, Eric Gordon is, is going to be gone in a few weeks. Tyreek Evans is going to be gone the following offseason. They needed something. And, and knowing that, you know, Heald is going to be given a high priority on the roster, I think Alvin Gentry might be able to find ways to make him successful as, you know, a third option. But isn't Ryan Anderson going to be gone too this offseason, most likely? Right. Yeah. And I cannot play Omar Ashik anymore. I can't watch him play basketball any longer. So, I But mean, would, you, would, you, would you be comfortable throwing Chris into the fire immediately? I think next, like to, next to Davis and Holiday, he'd be okay. And here's a real hot take for you. Like, I love Sabonis. I would have thought about him at six. I don't even care. Like, me and Sam Presti are on the island all by ourselves. I think he has a much higher than people realize. I'm a really yeah. big Sabonis guy. Yeah, I think, I think in, my, in my piece today uh, talking, about the, talking about the Serge Ibaka trade, I had mentioned that Sabonis doesn't necessarily give 
the Thunder anything that Cantor or Mitch McGarry. Oh, shenanigans. Don't? I'm calling shenanigans yeah. on that. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you have that then. Um, so another guy down the lottery who kind of projects to be, you know, a, a versatile big man who can do a lot of things. Uh, it was the first huge shock of, of the night, and it was, it was something that we'd been given advance warning to was Thon Maker going number 10 to the Bucks. What do you what do you think about this? Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with Thonmaker. Like, can you believe this story? Like, in the year 2015, you're going to try to pull, like, the Danny Almonte and get away with it? <laughs> like, how could you think that was going to work? Like, I guess I believe Reddit's little investigative reporting. Did you, you saw the whole story, right? Maybe yeah, like, I, I saw it. I don't know if I... I don't know if I fully believe it, but, like, I, I uh, accept that it is a reality that is out there. I mean, I don't understand how they, like, they got the guy dead to rights. He's playing it with, because the, what they had was the guy from the AFL, Susan Schott or something, on his class, who was born in 92. So unless Thon Maker, coming from, like, a refugee war-torn country, is being moved up three years ahead of his grade class, which seems pretty unlikely to me, he's older than he said he was. And why bother? Like, he's still seven foot one. What was the point of this whole charade? Like, that's what right. really blows my mind. I find this kind of heartwarming somehow. <laughs> like, he, he sidestepped all of these scandals. He's sidestepped all of these rumors about his fake age. He's, you know, he's emerged from all of this. And now he's a top 10 pick. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's been able to kind of sidestep all of this. He's been able to step away from that really small honeymoon period where everyone thought he was, you know, a cross between Chris Paul and Kevin Durant in those two-minute highlight clips. He, and, you know, a- after that, everyone was talking about, oh, you know, he doesn't really know the game. He doesn't really play that way. And yet, here he is. He's, he's still a top-ten pick. Yeah, I, I guess one more thing before I get on this actual basketball ability. Like, those that make those mixtapes hilarious in retrospect, you got this grown man killing middle schoolers, like, just crushing them. Like, oh, my God, he's the next Kevin Durant. <laughs> he's got, like, five years in these kids. It's, he's just doing yeah, them up. It's incredible. Like, I, I basically wrote about that. Uh, I wrote about Thon Maker about a year and a half ago for Grantland. And it, it wasn't really about him as a, as a prospect, but more about how he was kind of the perfect storm in terms of how highlights and how people were hyped in the social media age, especially when it, it was during a time when Vine started to really pick up as, as a way to showcase highlights. Yeah, you've watched him more than I have. Like, do you think he has a pretty high floor? He is seven foot one. He seems like he's reasonably skilled and athletic, right? I don't know. Yeah, I, I like he's definitely not a freak athlete, but he's coordinated. Um, and from all of the interviews I've seen from him, he's such a polished person uh, in terms like of talking about. So you know, <laughs> yeah. So he he talks the game very well, and he clearly cares about getting better as a player. I I feel like Milwaukee is definitely the team that will be able to foster him in a way that will showcase the ability he has. Well, here's, and, what, here's what I heard. I heard I've heard that I was a J Kid power play move the whole way because there's the whole Jeff Schwartz angle too. The fact that he's repped by J Kid's agent, same guy as Rashad Vaughn, and snuck two years in a row they're drafting Jeff Schwartz clients. I, I I love that so much. Right, I'm a conspiracy guy all the way, so I wonder about that. I but, love that so much. I love Jason Kidd as a coach. I love what he's done with Giannis. I love what he will be doing with Thon. This is going to be great. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, he, like, theoretically, you got Thon, Jabari, Giannis. That's Middleton. 
that's super long, super switchable, very skilled. If Thon could just shoot, can Thon shoot? What's the verdict on that? He's he's shown glimpses of a jumper, but like again, we don't have any like data to really back any of this up. Like anecdotally, I've seen him make a jumper. Mm-hmm. Well, that works <laughs> for me then. Pretty, sure. Yeah, he looked pretty good doing it. Um, I've never seen Simmons make a jump shot, so there you go. That's something. I've never. Yeah, I might not have ever seen him attempt a jump shot. So. <laughs> I think um, he'll be the number one guy in Vegas, right? Everyone's gonna want to watch even more than Simmons and Ingram. Oh yeah. Yeah, just just to, just to see what the hype is about. Absolutely. Um, because if he if he does any of those crossovers that he was trying in high school, I, I think the entire Thomas and Mac arena would just like explode. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm rooting for him for sure. What a crazy story! Like, I think that's been forgotten to what you were saying. He's from Sudan, right? And the refugee thing. Hmm. Like, he's had a tough life for sure. Hope he yeah, makes he, it. He, he's been he's been all over the world. Um, started off in Australia, then went over to a pretty shady school in Canada. Um, found his way down in Virginia too at some point. Um, he's been all over, and the fact that he's gotten to this point really is a testament yeah. to every everyone he's surrounded himself with. He can be like an older brother to Jonas. <laughs> Okay, so it's it's summer Friday. I, I think we'll wrap this up a little early, but I would love to hear your favorite moment of the draft yesterday. Oh, uh, my favorite moment. Um, hmm. You asked that before the draft. I really wish I thought about this for you asking this question. I love what the Suns did. I wrote about this on the Ringer today. I love the uh, the Bender Chris possibilities. Like I love when you can bit two lotto picks together at the same time, do different things. Could it just make your team so much more interesting over like a three, five-year window? Like, to me, they're a very, very watchable team now with those two, Bledsoe, Devin Booker, I guess Brandon Knight still, whatever, TJ Warren, Alex Len. They're a really fun team to watch right now. Yeah, they're going to be super exciting. And just think, like, we wrote two really big pieces on these guys, Chris and Bender. Like, the Suns are basically team ringer. Or there at we least go. Team, I, that's, like, a, that's a good point. Yeah, they're, they're team obscure NBA ringer, pretty much. I, that's what I was saying in the article. Like, they're the new draft, draft hipster's favorite team, so we have to like them now. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. They're, they're going to be absolutely, if not the youngest, one of the youngest teams in the NBA. Do you think they're going to move my guy Tyson Chandler, or he can be like a veteran presence there? I don't know. You know, Tyson Chandler has a ring. I, I really don't think he, he cares too much. Well, he's going to pay you the way. I don't think he cares about Yeah, that. exactly. $53 million. Right, so. right. Good morning, Tyson. Uh, I so I, when this happened, this I'm about to tell you my favorite moment of the draft. I, I was locked in my office quarter. I pretty much put myself in a cage to write about the Sergio Baca trade the second it was announced. So I, I didn't even watch the draft while it was going on. I had to like catch up. I think I think it was around 11 when I when I finally had the time to look at the actual draft results. So I missed all of this in real time, but. Holy crap, the Giorgio's uh, Papa Giannis pick at number 13 yeah. was incredible. Like, I, I, think, I think it might be my favorite draft pick in the last 10 years. That was, I guess it was like, remember Rafael Arujo? I mean, I'm not saying yes. he's Rafael Arujo, but it was that kind of like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Well, I, yeah, and aside here, I was, I was making some Rafael Arujo-like jokes with the Jakob Pertl uh, pick because it, it just fits so well. The, I don't know what the Raptors are doing, but anyway, uh, this is this feels so far beyond like zigging when other teams are zagging. 
Like I, I know that's something you've you've kind of pinpointed on yesterday, but you know, the Kings just drafted like an enormous child to pair with other enormous children. Like I mean, you, you kind of joked about how the Kings might be playing three centers at once in your in your piece today. But let's talk this out. You know, like DeMarcus Cousins has become almost a league average three-point shooter. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is pretty much as fast as most threes in the NBA. And Papa Giannis is an enormous child who can run. Look, let's, let's do this. I mean, they got a coach who can play in tight spaces, right? Dave Yerger's used to running constricted offense. I mean, then you can play Rondo 2 and F, no shooting at all on the floor whatsoever, right? Just go completely haywire. And you got yeah, Malachi and Ben McLemore hanging around doing something. Yeah, I mean, Rondo's looking at this roster and he's like, I'm out. Where's he going to go? He's <laughs> staying in Sacramento. If, no, they, pay, if the, they pay him, they'll stay. He's going to the Nets. Oh, that's, oh my gosh. Yeah, he's, t- he's a total Nets player. <laughs> well, they got the guy from the Spurs now. Maybe they, the new quote-unquote Nets thing. I think they'll let Isaiah Whitehead just go crazy next year. That'll be a fun thing to watch, too, is Isaiah Whitehead <laughs> taking 25 shots a game. I'm in on that train as well. So, yeah, like, I, I think every impartial observer of the Kings has kind of waited for the dysfunction of this entire front office between Vivek and Vlade. I think we've all kind of wanted it to translate on the court, but really in the past two years, the Kings have just kind of been regular bad. This is the time to be, like, spectacularly bad. I, I spectacularly to... good. Who knows? Maybe they got the whole... Sure. Maybe they're ahead of the rest of the league. Maybe they're actually light years ahead. They're so far behind their head or something. I don't know. Giant ball. I'm in. Right? Let's, get, I'm let's in. do let's, it. Let's, let's turn the league upside down. Let's play five stars at once. It could cost the Koopas out there, too. And Scal. Scal can shoot. He can be the shooting guard. Oh, I love this. I love this. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, I think that's all I have in me. Uh, but we should dare to dream. Thanks as always, Sharks. Thanks again, man. And thanks for listening.